There he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Digital Freemason Podcast for December 12th, 2005. I am your host, Scott, and I'll be taking you along on this journey through the world of short Masonic papers. Many of these papers have been presented in my lodge, King George Lodge No. 59, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. If you are a returning listener, thank you for your comments and feedback. I always enjoy the virtual visitation that the internet provides us, and I hope to see it grow more as we continue along this, on this journey. If you're a new listener, welcome, and I hope you will enjoy this podcast. My email box is always open, so if you have any other pieces of Masonic education which you think might be useful in this podcast, please feel free to email me. As well, if you have any ideas, thoughts, or feedback, my email address is podcast at kinggeorgelodge.com. I look forward to hearing from you as we journey through the digital library of Masonic education. In searching for that which was lost, I have rediscovered today's paper. It had been presented in our lodge last spring, and I had found it enlightening at the time. The presenter had discarded the physical paper, and I was unable to find a copy of it on the internet. It has returned to my library in the form of a book titled Masonic Inspiration, which has been created by Brother Kevin Van Hurd of St. George's Lodge No. 49 in Kelowna, British Columbia. He was gracious enough to forward me a copy of his book, which he spent years compiling. The paper from his book built in some manner on the previous episodes rambling through our Masonic ritual. Today's topic is more specific and deals with a single phrase that is said by all Masons, but likely misunderstood by a great many of them. In an attempt to give an answer to this question of, what does ancient free and accepted mean in regards to Freemasonry, let's get started with today's topic. The word Mason has been defined in many fanciful ways, as when one writer derives it from a Greek word meaning in the midst of heaven, and another finds it in an ancient Egyptian expression meaning children of the sun. But it is almost certain that the term comes into existence during the Middle Ages to signify a man engaged in the occupation of building. Originally, it had merely this trade significance. It was only after Masonry became a secret society that it took on a much wider significance. Of course, there were builders long before the Middle Ages, but they went by other names, just as today we often speak of them as architects, a term which came into use in the time of Queen Elizabeth. Builders in the Middle Ages, like other workmen, were organized into societies, somewhat similar to, but by no means identified with, our trade unions, which were known at the time as guilds. These guilds were permitted to make their own rules, and they were given a monopoly of the work to be done inside of their territory. The builders' guilds were usually more important than others, because their work was more difficult and required a higher degree of skill and intelligence. Such of them had it in hand the erection of the great cathedrals, and they possessed among their membership the outstanding geniuses of their time, and wrought such work as this day remains to our wonder and despair. The art of building was, according to the custom of the time, held as a trade secret. Therefore the young men entering the guild of the builders were solemnly obligated to divulge no secrets of the craft. Inasmuch as this work was difficult, these young men were given a long course of education under the direction of a master mason, in which, so it is believed, the tools and processes of building were used symbolically and in order to impress certain truths on the minds of the member. In this way, and because the builders were in close touch with the church which employed systems of symbolism as today we use books, the Builders Guild came in time to accumulate a great wealth of symbolic teachings and elaborate ritual. 
In the 18th century, this symbolical element completely displaced the original craft of actual building, and masons became speculative, as we know it now, so that we are masons only in a symbolical sense. We are called masons, therefore, because we are members of an organization that harks back to a time when builders and architects were bound together in closely guarded guilds. But why are we called Freemasons? That is a more difficult question to answer, as all our Mason Masonic scholars have discovered. For in spite of the great amount of careful research, they have never yet agreed among themselves as to how this question should be answered. We have record of the word having been used 600 years ago, but it is evident that even then Freemason was a term in long standing, so that its origins fade away in the dimness of a very remote past. One of the commonest theories is that the Freemason was originally a mason who worked in free stone, that is, stone ready to be hewn and shaped for the building, in contrast to the stone laying unmined. Such mason was superior in skill to the quarrymen who dug the stone from the quarry, and this is in harmony with the fact that in the early days Freemasons were deemed a superior kind of workmen and received higher wages than the rough masons, but it does not explain why carpenters, tailors, and other workmen were also called free. Another common theory has it that early masons came to be called free because they were exempted from many of the tiresome duties that hemmed in the laborers of the Middle Ages and enjoyed liberties such as the right to travel and the exemption from military service. It is held by some writers that the early Pope granted bulls to the Masons that freed them from the church restrictions. But no amount of search in all the libraries of Europe or in the records of the Roman Catholic Church have ever succeeded in unearthing a single bull or any record thereof. There are other theories. One has it that a Mason was free when out of bonds of apprenticeship and ready to enjoy the full privileges of membership in his guild. Another, that there were grades of workmen inside builders' guilds, and only the highest type were permitted all such privileges, and that these were called free, in contrast to their lesser advanced brethren. One of the more acceptable of the, all these theories is so brilliantly advanced by G.W. Spieth in the past century, which that the learned brother held that in the Middle Ages there were two types of builders' guilds, those who were stationary in each town, and those who were employed in cathedrals and were therefore permitted to move about from place to place, wherever cathedrals might be in the course of construction. Inasmuch as cathedrals represented the high watermark of skill and learning in that day, such workmen were superior to those employed in the humbler structures in the community, such as dwellings, warehouses, docks, and roads, so that Freemasonry descended from an aristocracy of medieval labor. I have never been able to make up my mind as between the variety of explanations, except that it appears to me that Spieth's is the most plausible, it may be several of them are true, at once or at the same time. Such a thing would not be impossible. Freemasonry developed over a large stretch of territory and through a long period of time. There is no doubt that in some case this word has its face meaning and serves us to remind us of our craft as being very old. The first Grand Lodge of Speculative Masons was established in London in 1717. But masonry, even of the speculative variety, was very old by that date. Boswell had been accepted into the craft in 1600, Moray in 1641, and Ashmole in 1646. Our oldest manuscript, usually dated to about 1390, looks backward in time to long before itself. There is no telling how old masonry is. Perhaps they are not so far off when they say that it is dated in antiquity. In any event, it is ancient and has every right to use the word. In a majority of cases, the word doubtless refers to the Grand Lodge that came to be organized in England short, shortly after 1750, 
when the Grand Lodge of 1717 had, was formed, it was planned that it should have a jurisdiction over a few lodge, only a few lodges in London. But as these lodges increased in number, it extended its territory to include the county, and later on to include the whole world. A large number of lodges remained independent. They were oft, often called St. John's Lodges, many in the north of England, others in Scotland and Ireland. As time went on, they grew up a feeling that the brethren of several of these independent lodges, that the new Grand Lodge was becoming guilty of making innovations in the body of masonry. Therefore, after a deal of agitation had been made, a rival Grand Lodge was formed, and because its older sister Grand Lodge had made changes, they, were dubbed, they had been dubbed modern. And because they themselves claimed to preserve their work according to its original form, they called themselves ancient. This ancient Grand Lodge was fortunate in securing the Grand Secretary, Lawrence Dermot, who had such a genius for organizing that in the course of time the newer lodge began to overshadow the older. The rivalry, often bitter enough to be described as a feud, lasted until 1813, when the first steps toward a union were effected. Out of this effort at reconciliation, they came up at last with the, the United Grand Lodge of England. Meanwhile, the ancients had chartered a great number of lodges in the colonies of America, and these, a large number of them, carried on the name long after the American lodges had severed all relations with the Grand Lodges across the sea. In this manner, the word ancient came into general use and remains today embedded in the official titles of about half of the Grand Lodges of North America. Much mystery still hangs over the word accepted, but in a general way we feel pretty safe in thinking that it refers to the fact that after the ancients' building, builders' guild began to break up and lose their monopoly of the trade, they began to accept into their membership men who had no, no intention of engaging in actual building, but who sought membership for social purpose, or in an order to advantage the rich symbolism, the ritual, and the philosophy of the order. And thus admitted of whom we have a record is Boswell, but it is fairly certain that others had been similarly accepted long before. Indeed, there is good reason to believe that non-operatives have been taken into membership from the vast early days, and it is possible that the word was also applied to the members who devoted themselves to superintending and planning, but not to the physical work. Throughout the 17th century, the number of accepted increased, until by the 18th century many lodges were almost wholly made up of such members. In 1817, the whole craft was transformed into a speculative science though it is true that many operative lodges remained in existence, and some of them still function and claim themselves the ancient lineage. They'll have to wait with patience until all the problems concerning these various words are cleared up. But meanwhile, we can use them with a satisfactory degree of certainty as connecting us historically with a process of growth and development that began far back in the Middle Ages, or even earlier, and has continued till now. True, it has been a history filled with wonders, and even now there are few who have a full appreciation of the height and depth, and length and breadth, and exceeding riches of Freemasonry. There you have it, a quick tour through a bit of the history of Freemasonry. So the next time that someone calls you old, tell them that you're not just old, you're ancient, but as well as being ancient, you are free and accepted. So thanks for listening to the Digital Freemason. I've been your host, Scott, and I've enjoyed our time together. If you would like a transcript of this podcast, please visit our website at www.kinggeorgelodge.com. If you have any comments or ideas for further podcasts, please feel free to email me at podcast at kinggeorgelodge.com. So until next week, work the best that you can to keep that fraternal handrailing of Freemasonry polished and in use, and our lineage to antiquity alive and valid.